You've eaten Gotham's wealth, its spirit, but your feast is nearly over. This is not my home. It's an operating table. And I'm the surgeon. Why aren't you laughing? From this moment on, none of you are safe. Welcome to the Batman Book Club, a podcast exploring the Dark Knight Library. I am your host, Ryan Lauer. The Batman Book Club is a proud member of the Batman Podcast Network, hosted by Batman on Film. Just go to batmanonfilm.com, click on podcasts, and you'll find the Batman Podcast Network that has a whole list of other Bat-related shows that love to dive into other nerdy subjects we all love to frolic about in our free time. The Batman Book Club is also on Patreon. If you like what's going on with the show and you want to help support it and help keep those generators running in the Wayne Manor study, just go to patreon.com slash thebatmanbc. Now, thank you for listening to episode number 114, Death in the Family. Now, joining me, returning to the show and uh, bringing the funeral to the, the Batman Book Club, bringing the mood down, he's um, a pal of mine. <laughs> he is a fellow member of Batman on Film, and this man knows the best spot to pick for a nice brunch, and better yet, uh, a delicious cinnamon roll. And I have many oh, people man. that can um attest to this it's javi truvio travi javi travi hey screwed <laughs> hey, something man. up didn't i gosh hey how you doing <laughs> we're getting there man good how are you long time no good. talk yes i know we just recently talked on batman on film but i mean as far as on the batman book club um it's been a minute it, yeah since we, i think we've found out since prey and this for this show because i want to remind it to everybody um or every every time just like last episode this is the first time i've recorded on the show with you since we've met in person booyah that's right yeah and i'm bringing up the mentioning of a place for brunch because uh the bof watch party down in texas uh me and the bat boys uh, you were in charge of a brunch spot and by god did you find one yeah and it, perhaps good. one of the best cinnamon rolls i've ever had in my entire life and Ryan Haas and Complaint Department Eric Holzman can both totally agree with me because I think three months later, we were still texting each other pictures of our cinnamon rolls and drooling about it. <laughs> My gosh, so good. But anyways, so enough from it. It was magical. <laughs> yeah, it really was. It was. Um, you've been on the show a couple times before. You've revealed your favorite Batman story. So let me just ask you real quick before we dive into the main event here, what Batman comics have you been reading lately? Well, I, I just finished up Batman the night number seven, because I review it for Batman on film and that came yes. out at the day of this recording. Mm. Uh, but on, on top of that, um, I've just been doing my homework for this. I started with Ooh. Batman 400, which I've read it once before when I when I got it maybe a year ago, mm-hmm. which is very much like. Are you familiar with it? Which with one again? Issue? Batman four hundred. I'm gonna it's got like a say no. cover. It's oh, it's basically blue. it's Nightfall before Nightfall was Nightfall. Like it's this I know this cover double or triple sized issue, and mm-hmm. some mystery person breaks everyone out of Arkham to go after Batman and he's got to fight through all his villains and get to the end and figure out, you know, what the whole evil plan is. So I I won't say who the big bad is, but 
reading it the whole time it's like god this feels a lot like nightfall except batman's not worn out with you know stubble on his face yeah but uh, i started there and uh just kind of kept on going so pretty soon you hit the uh you hit the wall of year one and then everything after that you would categorize as post-crisis hmm. and i wanted to get an idea of where we were with jason and his reboot and what kind of stories were being told in the title at that time because when i first got those issues in print and read them i i wasn't terribly a fan of max alan collins batman stuff like it felt a little hokey a little cheesy and it wasn't really resonating with me it, it went down a lot better this time i i don't know what it was maybe it was my mood when i read it the first time but um i got a very interesting perspective on uh on the era and reading it because i i didn't just stop with it in print i read like the letter columns as well and all the from the dens where he was kind of giving insight of just what a hot mess it was trying to get people to take over from like miller and mazzucchelli mm -hmm. and keep the book on time and keep it looking consistent and uh reading the letters pages where there was a lot of interesting opinions a lot of people didn't like the yellow oval back in the late 80s apparently what? i don't know if it was yeah i don't know if it was like a post dark knight returns thing um and they wanted to have more of that look back uh but and there's even a couple of people just heretics really who didn't like jim aparo and thought why is he on the book he's bringing it down I, which i don't understand what that was about my goodness and, and then uh, batman 80, 89 came out and everyone's like i love yeah. the yellow oval what are you talking about <laughs> And even my old um, comic shop owner, uh, he was a prolific letter hack back in the day, uh, Charlie Harris. He, uh, he worked at a comic shop and then he opened up his own and I bought like my absolute hush from him back in the day. Nice. Um, but he, he wrote a lot of letters to all the DC books and I read it like four or five of his letters in the letter column. So that was a lot of fun to um, just kind of reminisce. It's like, I know this guy. And I even messaged him on Facebook and, and let him know. And he was appreciative getting nice. the shout out. Yeah. So that's what I've been reading is okay. a, lot of Batman, a lot of Batman. Yeah. Mr. Overachiever. Um, I've done my well, I got, work, but also I had to step up my game. You. <laughs> I had to step up my game because I came on the show and talked year three. Mm -hmm. um, and then we did R.I.P., which you hated and have mentioned hey, several times hey, since then. Hey, now. Hey, now. Come on. <laughs> How stressful it was for you. There you go. And uh, and then we did Pray. So since those recordings, yes. you've had Tim Sheridan on, yeah. who uh, Great had his own special episode where he basically covered year three and the lonely place of dying mm -hmm. and then uh, you even had Lieber Mayho on talking about how great My Pray man. was. I'm like, like all these stories that I'm bringing up, like Ryan's getting these awesome, you know, creators on and they're talking about these same stories. So I'm like, what else, what else can I do? So like, oh, let's do a death in the family. And now, you know, maybe Ryan will get his buddy, Sean Murphy back to talk about it, or maybe he'll get, I don't know, Tim Burton or something to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> you never I mean, know. this show is going places, man. To, You're going to, places. to quote, um, sarah sanderson of hocus pocus fame i'm just lucky i guess you know <laughs> i don't know how um it's it's um yeah the joke's on me 
Um, it's not, it's, I don't know. Tim Burton. We'll see. Why not? You, He's listening. You never know. Come on. You never know. Come on. Unless he wants to talk the killing joke again. Well, that's fine. I've, you know, I've that is talking. his favorite book. It's on the Actually, cover. Tim Burton. I, I don't think we can talk about that. You know, we've already you know talked what about I, it before. You so. know what I learned in my, in my readings today? This is kind of off topic, but kind of on topic. Um, I think it was in the, it's in between like Death in the Family and The Lonely Place of Dying in this, in the hardcover that I have, mm-hmm. that Tim Drake was named Tim in honor of Tim Burton per Marv Wolfman, which I did not know that. Wonderful. Yeah. Why not? I yeah. Why not? At the time, I mean that Tim Burton was making dreams come true with uh in the Batman world. So, uh, awesome. Uh, I'm I'm glad you did your homework, and we're going to incorporate a lot of what you've read in the build up to this as we dive into now. Uh, Batman death in the family. Now, this story was written by Jim Starlin, illustrated by Jim Aparo. Uh, It was released in Batman issues 426, 427, 428, 429. I don't know why I wrote down to 420. I'm like, no, this is a four-parter. Four-parter in the Batman books in 1988. um, It was released. Biz, go ahead. I was going to say, it's a four-parter, but part one and part two are double-sized. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's broken down into into six chapters. Yeah, We're getting into that. But as far as Batman issues, 426 to 429, I wrote um, really horribly uh, numbers in my my notes here. Uh, Released physical issues. It's been collected in trade paperbacks. Um, It's been in different hardcovers. I think the DC Library Classics that I have with batman year three uh or no was it collected in uh lonely place of dying that's what it was collected in um and yeah it's available digitally i think it's on dc universe and by night it's the a recent deluxe edition uh, was released and that is available on hoopla my favorite app so javi this is the question that you have um that you alluded to on the twitter Actually, you were looking forward to my question here of which version did you read for this episode? So I did Versions. my usual, my, <laughs> I did a combo of things like I, I usually do. Cause usually when we, we read something, I'll do like, I'll read my original issues and then I'll go and read it digitally as well. So I can get like the whole um, guided view look on it. Right. Um, but with this time, I read all my issues in print, except for yeah, my homework stuff. There's a couple I read on DC Universe Infinite, because I didn't have actual copies with me. But for Death in the Family itself, I pretty much only read my deluxe edition hardcover, which I think I bought in like the end of 2021 as like prep for the show someday, because I knew we were going to do it next. Yeah. And uh, so I, I only stuck with the deluxe edition on this. I didn't go digital this time because I know it so well, and this has been recolored. Having said that, I did thumb through my original issues for parts two and four. Um, and then I also thumbed through my old uh, trade, my original trade, because that was a fourth printing uh, that I bought back in 1989. And that had a forward written by a fake professor 
where he's like from the future kind of talking about this era of history in Gotham. And then it had a, a pro or not a prologue. It had an end piece written by Denny O'Neill mm-hmm. um, kind of explaining what happened and going into the voting and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I looked at it through a couple of different formats, but for the first time in me being on the show it was all physical copies. It was all print. Nice. Um, I, the uh, hardcover or not hardcover. Jeez. I checked it out. The most recent hardcover on my Hoopla app for like any kind of extras, which does have a, a writing at the beginning from Scott Peterson and then I think um, at the end of it is Mar- uh, from Marv Wolfman. But Marv Wolfman talks about the, because um, it's it's packaged with A Lonely Place of Dying. So Marv Wolfman is more so focused on Lonely Place of Dying because he wrote yeah. it. Um, and yeah, Scott Peterson wrote about uh, this book and how this, you know, this, this era um, influenced him in, pursuing comics while he was in in college and um yeah so i got the original or the very hard to find and rare and i'm sure it's worth a ton of money 12th printing uh (laughs) trade paperback of a death in the family which i do remember getting this one because this was from back uh early 2000s a triple package of batman year one the killing joke and a death in the family all i ordered when ordering things online was starting to become a a thing and i was still in high school in the early 2000s because i was wanting to build up my batman catalog and i was asking and looking up like what are definitive batman stories and all three of those were were it and so yeah i bought mine then and i always forget because i've had this in my storage for a little while i haven't revisited this in in quite a while um yeah so as you mentioned there's four issues but the first two are double sized but in this trade paperback it's broken up in granted the issues are broken up into chapters as well six chapters over four issues but the trade doesn't do doesn't split up each each issue instead they split up in chapters the most recent deluxe edition gives you the covers which is the four covers yeah. by mike mignola um so you do see that breakup of oh this was 426 this was 427 as opposed to the trade it's just strictly chapters so i didn't yeah. even i mean that's how my fourth printing is the covers are really okay. small on the back yep of the Ta-da! oh see yours are even bigger because mine are like spread yours out i posted on twitter okay. today and it's kind of like one in each corner and then down the middle is a whole bunch of like review quotes. Yeah. Um, Interesting. Yeah. So yeah, it's um, kind of funky, I think, a little on how they've produced this. But I do love, it's the older style paper that I really like. And I just really think uh, Aparo's art sings on this style of paper. And we'll get into all that as, I, as we progress in our discussion. It's funny to me that you got those books like that because my first... My first trade that I ever bought was year one at Walden mm-hmm. Books. And then my next one was Death in the Family. And there was a stark difference between the nice paper of the year one trade to just how disposable the Death in the Family felt. And then I think I got The Killing Joke next. And then uh, The Dark Knight Returns were like mm-hmm. my first 
for like collected prestige Batman yeah. issues that I read because it was 1989. So mm-hmm. that's kind of all there was. I mean, there was Son of the Demon, I think greatest the greatest Batman stories ever told, but there wasn't sure. a lot of pickings back then, not like there are now. Yeah. It is um, a variety of, I know it, it sounds extremely nerdy when i bring it up on the show but as far as like paper quality but i'm glad it just seems like they're starting to veer away from the pure glossy uh glossy paper but these reprintings of the long halloween dark victory haunted night and stuff they're doing it in like the glossy style i'm like no tim sales art does not does not belong on the glossy paper it doesn't uh anyways do you remember the first time that you read death in the family 1989 um after the batman movie came out okay so i i knew of what happened in it mm-hmm. because i'd read yeah you know, 432 prior to the movie coming out so at that point jason was already gone um but i don't think i got the trade until after the movie came out okay uh my first time reading was I mean, I would have guessed it would have been like maybe 2003, 2004 when I got that triple threat variety Batman pack in the mail. Um, yeah, but like you, I'd had, I mean, like that first collected trade of A Lonely Place of Dying, I received that as a birthday present when I was like seven, I think. And so in it, obviously it's, you know, it's mentioned about Jason died and stuff. So I knew that Jason Todd died and I think I'd asked my uncle of like what was going on here. So I knew about it, but I just never read the story until yeah. I ordered it and got the this very um, rare and delicate 12th printing of the collected book. Uh, and then lastly, why Death in the Family? Um, it's just, it's one of those stories that I just really loved as a kid because it was one of the few that I had. Mm-hmm. So I just, I read it over and over and over and over and over so i kind of had to put it off to the shelf for a while uh, because just trying to keep up with everything else and then i started seeing um just kind of people talking about it on like twitter and maybe in our facebook group and the movie had come out the animated movie that's a very loose adaptation came out and it was just kind of in the public uh conversation again and there are a lot of people that were um didn't have favorable views of it and and i reached out to you and you because i thought you'd covered it i could have swore someone would have taken it by now in 113 episodes of the batman book club but no one had so it it was something i wanted to re-examine before someone else took it because this is kind of like my um genesis of being a continual reader because I'd read Batman comics before this as a kid, but nothing was consecutive. I wasn't following the ongoing story. Um, so I really wanted to take a modern look at it and see how it held up for me and, and just, you know, talk about this landmark of a, of a Batman story, whether you love it or not. Ooh. I mean, it changed so many things and, and the direction of the character that we're still dealing with today. That's a good term on, because I was still trying to think of like, what's what's the uh, best way to say it? Landmark story, Batman story, for a variety of reasons. Because yes, it is, 
Now, I am nowhere near as conflicted with this story as I am with one Batman R.I.P. Still raises my stress levels thinking about it. But I, I do go a little back and forth with this story overall. I do think a general consensus from people that I've gathered is that it's a book that's known for a moment, not because yeah. it's just not because it's necessarily a good story. Um, I mean, everybody has an opinion. I don't think it's a bad story. I don't think it's a great story. I think it has a very memorable event um, for obvious reasons. Um, which like we'll dig into for sure, but I want to first do a little bit of, of backstory um, okay. for this guy named Jason Todd, because there's a lot of people now getting into comics recently. I mean, hell, when this story came out, I was, you know, I was two years old, uh, not to age you, Holly, um, <laughs> but I was two, but I'd, I'd read a lot and how the consensus is that there's just it's really hard unless you get dc universe infinite or you go back issue hunting uh in comic shops to get a to get a true sense of jason todd as a character yeah because what i've discovered in looking through all these years so i don't know if you remember a few years ago they released a trade paperback uh, batman second chances and yeah. in that included in that is Batman number 408. Hey, what's Batman 408? Oh, the uh, reintroduction of Jason Todd and his origin story of stealing tires off the Batmobile. Jason Todd originally was introduced in Batman 357 by Jerry Conway and Don Newton. There aren't many collected stories with Jason Todd. Yeah. There's... Um, at least from his pre-death era exactly so in this era so i mean unless you track down specific issues in which you look at that he had like 50 you know there were 50 issues of batman while he was robin and then he was reintroduced and then there weren't even 20 or there was like 21 and and then he was taken out so a lot of people are only getting like two two years worth of jason todd stories if they go and track them down now, he did show up in one out of continuity called Batman the Call, which we covered on here with uh, Except it's my man not Carlos. Though. My man Carlos yeah. from the Nerd Room. Bat chin. But yes, um, but that story is unique too because it's not, it's not a, it's what I mean by it's not um, connected. It's just not, it wasn't an issue of Batman. It's a yeah, okay. four part, four part uh, miniseries, uh, yeah. Batman the Call that Jason Todd's in. And Scott Peterson says in the introduction of this, uh, of the newest deluxe edition about Jim Starlin, who wrote the cult and he wrote a death in the family. He was not a fan, a fan of Jason Todd, but yet you kind of got a different Jason Todd in the cult story. Um, Like he was kind of heroic and he was positive and like, he was a, he was a good character in that compared to the monthly books um, and fans just were not a huge fan of him. So since you'd been doing the homework uh, and read these issues, like, what do you want to expand upon of the character of Jason Todd and uh, how you saw that developing leading up to this book? Well, it, in my years of being a fan and reading interviews, it's it's weird that, you know, 
you mentioned that it's not weird that you mentioned that but it's it's weird that in the stuff that i've come across where like the killing joke wasn't supposed to be a story that affected the continuity mm-hmm. and by those remarks from peterson like the cult seemed like it was supposed to be something else yet both the killing joke and the cult get referenced uh more than once in a death in the family like batman you know they mentioned deacon blackfire he mentions mm-hmm. that he's still not up to full efficiency since then they mentioned everyone's going to want a piece of the joker after what he did to barbara so to me as a kid like i didn't i didn't know any better that that stuff happened to me in as far as i know in my head canon uh, but jason's weird because i prior to his uh first demise i don't i don't really know i didn't really have that much of a sense of him i my dad had maybe gotten me like two issues and he just seemed very robiny mm-hmm. and and uh i had his killer croc kind of pseudo origin i had like one issue of that where it mentioned like his circus parents they were still alive at that point um and Morrison brings it up later how he had like orange hair and Batman had him dye it black to match Robin. Um, but I didn't really. I've, ne- I've never gotten that. to read that. I remember I've I've never discovered that moment. And this is just me not doing my homework. Of I'm like, wait, hold on, that's Jason Todd. His hair is not black. Oh, look at this Jason Todd. His hair is black. Is that the yeah. same Jason Todd? What the hell's going on? <laughs> so he's got a weird history, and so I started with 400, and he's. What I remember of him in that he's very generic, um, you know, just kind of Robin-y. Mm-hmm. But it, and then you go off for four issues for year one. So when we come back and we get this new tough Jason, um, he's definitely, you know, a little bit of a punk. Uh, he has authority issues. Um, but then, like, you know, Batman takes him home. And then it's like six months later. And he's been training him in the cave for like six months. And he, you know, he starts crusading with Batman and they, but he's still like, he's got a little bit of an edge, but he's still like, okay, I'm going to go do my homework and and this and that. And it's when he finds out about Two-Face that he starts getting more of that attitude again. Because you see like a curve where he's starting to get better. And there's a a one shot or a a one-off issue by Joe Duffy where it, his characterization doesn't match all the stuff that Collins was doing beforehand. And then it kind of switches back again to where he starts getting this, you know, chip on his shoulder. Um, And then he, he kind of like just, it's really weird because he just bobs in and out. There's a, a, an issue where like, there's a a serial killer. He's not in that at all. They pick up that storyline like four issues later and he's not in the second part, but then he shows up on the third but then the third is told from the perspective of the villain. So it's, he doesn't have like a whole lot of a presence until like two issues before this storyline. Um, we see him to start displaying more of his anger when he finds a woman um, who's been beaten by this drug lord who's got diplomatic immunity. And then he may or may not have pushed him to his death after the woman kills herself when she finds out he's coming after him, uh, coming after her again. Which then really uplifting his... uh, material yeah. in the 80s. Yeah. And then his father comes back for vengeance and kidnaps Gordon and a whole bunch of people die. And Batman's like, you know, there are consequences to our actions, Robin. And like, that's it. You still don't know if Robin killed this guy or not. And Batman's like, I, 
I got to believe he didn't kill this person because otherwise, how can I work with them? Yeah. And by the start, you know, the first couple pages of death in the family, he's like, nope, you, you are not cut out for this right now. Like you need to take a break. And that's where our story begins, basically. Which if you didn't know all of that information going in, like you just said, where we start with this one, it's basically, yeah, he jumps, uh, they, they go to do a, you know, like a bust Robin jumps too early and yeah. And Batman just basically sidelines him yeah. that he's just he's, not. He, he, they emphasize ahead. in the letter columns uh, a few times. Cause people were asking questions like this. Jason is 12. Like Dick is 19 or 20 but this kid is 12 and we get an issue um, 416 where Dick as Nightwing meets Jason and he and Batman have a whole argument about it because the whole issue of like 408 is like really fast. Like Dick is um, Robin, the Joker shoots him in the shoulder and he falls off a roof and only gets caught by his own bat rope. And after that, Batman's like, no, you're done. Like, I can't work with anyone anymore. And uh, and then by the end of the issue, he meets Jason ripping the tires off and sees that he's, you know, a homeless orphan. And, you know, takes him in and calls him Robin because he helped save him. And, and, then, it, and then, like, the next issue, it's like six months later, like, I've been training this kid and giving him an education and teaching him criminology and kind of how to fight. So apparently, and I mean, Denny O'Neill was the, the editor at the time. Yeah. And you read interviews and such, like look up on Wikipedia and they take quotes of what he'd say. And he, I mean, it was kind of, uh, it was known that at the time, like people, fans did not like Jason Todd. And you going back and reading some of this stuff, um, do you think that i mean number one you have somebody yes the public knows batman and robin yeah. how much of general audience knows robin is dick grayson but for fans of reading comics they know robin is dick grayson how much of it do you think of not liking jason todd is because jason todd's not dick grayson you know i think and how much of it of was like there's a lot of that you think yeah because anyone who wasn't dick grayson i mean how many robins have there been since dick like i can't even... 83 yeah yeah i think we're up to 85 this week yeah okay so uh, i think anyone it's he's like the george lazenby of robins in a sense because mm. <laughs> sean connery did five james bond movies quit they brought in george lazenby who did like one movie but was told like this thing isn't going to go anywhere. Society's changing. Just get out now. So he quit and they had to like beg Connery to come back for one more so they wouldn't lose it. And then they eventually went on to Roger Moore, who was much beloved at the time. He's done the most of any Bond actor. He's done seven official movies to Connery's six official and one knockoff remake. We won't talk about that. So he's Jason's kind of in that George Lazenby position. Like anyone who's not the original is going to be yeah. hated because he was hated when he first came on the scene because he was basically a Robin clone, a Dick Grayson clone. Sorry. His parents were in the circus. They were helping Batman out on a case with Killer Croc. They got killed. Bruce felt guilty and took him in. 
so he's basically like dick 2.0 mm-hmm. but no one liked that because he was just he was too much of the same so when crisis happened they used it as an excuse and gave him a little more of an edge because you know everything in the 80s by that point was getting dark and gritty and yeah and then people hated that because he was too much not like dick and the letters at that point were kind of like not quite 50 50 there were some people that liked the new characterization there are some that that just hated him he was a little punk so you know once we have the the vote which was really close it was off by like 60 votes and it was like back and forth the whole time and he's dead and then we eventually the dust settles and we get a new robin and they took their time doing it um and he was the first robin to get like his own series and not not just the fact they had three mini series like he had a full series that hit triple digits before that punk damien came in and messed everything up for him um and i say that as someone who loves damien now but um he was he's the the guy following up the most popular guy like he's never going to be everyone's favorite like he's doomed to failure from the start so i think you know going that route and trying to relaunch again i mean wasn't necessarily a bad idea and like he brought up with peterson like he liked him in the one story but didn't like him in the main book but it was the same author which is just weird to me that he would characterize him so differently it's been i don't know maybe five years since i reread the cult i've been wanting to reread it again but haven't had the time it's just kind of interesting to me on how much of it is because it you'd almost think when you have one character as a robin for 40 years that this next one just they didn't really it feels like they didn't give him much of a chance no when you when you when you look at it in you know like in the microcosm like the small view like binging it like i did there's barely anything there but if you're reading it monthly yeah it's from like that's like a year and a half so, the, so i mean a little spread out you're living with it more but still even then it's not a long time yeah so i don't know it's just always so that's one con- like conflicting part for me is the sense of do i really not like jason todd or am i just not supposed to like jason todd and with context it's like i there's just there's never been a whole lot for me to go on with jason todd yeah with leading up to his death in 1988 we've already talked on this show about him coming back um but at this point you know late 80s this is the story was huge because, you know, I mean, the 60s series, you can say that helped that it's Batman and Robin. And also, yeah, Robin came into the picture a year after Batman, you know, Batman was Debut. introduced, <laughs> debuted. Yeah. Yeah. So it has been Batman and Robin a lot. And that show was, you know, Batman and Robin all over the place. But um, I think this story, I don't think it's as bad as some want to say that it is. Because it does feel a little bit like, I mean, it's it's a comic book story. So things things do fall into place. The idea of the Joker becoming an ambassador to another country and getting yeah. diplomatic immunity. Um, diplomatic immunity. Like that you gotta was... You got to say it like Lethal Weapon too. 
diplomatic immunity. <laughs> so I mean, it's an '80s thing. It was hot at the yeah. time. There's some context to it. Um, but like, didn't you just say that there was another story of of one that had diplomatic immunity? Yeah. And that, so that's who Jason that's, may or may not have purposely murdered. Yeah. The right before the story, the the drug dealer got off on beating the girl because yeah, his dad was like a Bogotagan ambassador but but before that though like this is where it gets complicated um you had the dark knight returns which definitely had its political element with ronald reagan and Mm -hmm. the cold war with russia and the nukes being detonated and superman um and then just in the main book itself, like it was just kind of standard superhero stuff. And then Starling comes on the book after Collins and like everything changed. Um, Batman has a very uh, film noir detective style of narration once Starlin takes over. And it's, it's just night and day different. His dialogue is so like terse and his observations are just, they're just perfect this the way he narrates the story and how batman views everything and uh his inner monologue um but along with that also comes like this weird political thriller aspect um that maybe started with miller in the dark knight returns but then gets picked up in 10 nights of the beast which is um the kg beast and this uh his henchman i forget his name but he's basically a shiite extremist uh going to gotham because they're trying to interrupt the star wars program basically so he's got like 10 days and he's got 10 targets and he's going to take out all these people that are um key proponents of the star wars program which back then was supposed to be like a nuclear deterrent. We were going to have satellites in space that would like knock out any um, nuclear missiles headed our way. So he is just massacring people. Like Mm -hmm. no joke. He kills like over the KG beast kills like over a hundred people in this story minimum because at one part he kills like 80 people at, at a banquet, just poisons them all. And his final target is Ronald Reagan. Um, so Reagan makes an appearance. He's just walking along with Batman, um, <laughs> talking to Batman a bit. There's a character named Ralph Bundy that gets, gets introduced, who's a, a CIA agent that we later see in Death in the Family. Um, so it, it's it's definitely it definitely stands out. And in the letter column, there was a a little bit of a, a blowback on that someone took uh, Starlin to task for how, how he they? presented uh, the the Shiite terrorists that worked for the KG Beast, um, explaining, you know, the different, I, I don't know anything, not enough to be really talking about it, the difference between uh, Sunnis and Shiites and all that conflict that's raged for centuries. But um, he didn't feel like it was appropriate, like not all people of that belief act like that he's an extreme case there's no way even an extreme case would be allying himself with someone in the kgb because he'd be godless like it doesn't jibe with all that and you know the uh 
assistant editor was writing the letter columns like i'm sorry you feel that way but like we're in this kind of heightened reality melodrama you know we're not picking sides you're playing political it's just you know this is what it is and we're in this world where there's a guy dressed as a bat and you know we're just just trying to enjoy it sorry hope you like the next one more um so some of that definitely carries over into this with um batman and robin going to the middle east and the joker selling a nuclear weapon joker has a later nuclear becoming weapon. the ambassador he comes out of uh he's a he's free um yeah. because gotham said go have a good life joker and he needs to make some money well, he so, breaks out yeah i was like ba- wink wink, wink, wink. <laughs> gotcha. um and he he needs to sell it so he goes overseas like i don't know you need to get joker over there to do I don't, it, everything just kind of falls in line it, it's a it's a freaking comic book comic books in the 80s were like comics even now the ideas i mean now we have a little bit more of like a realistic approach we have to try and make stuff a little more realistic and grounded and this is a little far-fetched yeah. but i don't think that it's necessarily it's no more bonkers than stuff that have been in comics you know the previous couple of decades so well, i think just and, getting and- them over there to totally works it's fine and it's fine it doesn't it doesn't stop here either because after this story um like a year from or two years after this we get um the nkv demon who's like the protege of the kg beast Mm -hmm. and he's going to do the opposite he starts targeting like 10 russians uh because at that point the cold war is ending we're becoming friends and then he goes after gorbachev so batman's in russia trying to save gorbachev i have those issues gorbachev so like it it wasn't the first time and it, it wasn't the last time that Batman got political. It's just something about this particular era where they try to give it this weird thing. And I didn't, when I was 12, when I first read this, I didn't really read into it. Like today, like the Ayatollah makes the Joker, the, um, their ambassador. And it's basically like the whole reason is so he can go kill the whole UN. Like, if that were to really happen, like that's an act of war. Like you can't just say, oh, well, he's crazy. Ha ha ha. That wasn't really us. He doesn't speak for us because no one would believe that. Like he tried to murder the entire UN delegation. Yeah. Like that, that would be like an act of war. Um, and I know stuff back then, tensions were really high. I certainly knew who the Ayatollah Khomeini was even at, at 12. Like I knew he was doing some stuff and there have been lots of executions amongst other things. Um, so maybe Starland, who used to be like a naval photographer, wanted to say his piece about it, or maybe he knew more about that region um, from his time in the military, although I thought he was a, a Vietnam era vet. But I, I'm curious as to what made them go that route. So if you look at the animated movie, I mean, it's completely glossed over, uh, both under the red hood and uh, the interactive of death in the family, where it's just like ah, the Joker's gonna sell a bomb to Rachel Ghoul in Serbia, as one does, as one does. Yeah, uh, you know, because when you kill or when you you know cripple the commissioner's daughter, only then do they seize all your assets. Yeah, I don't. Know. I, I don't mind the Joker. I don't how we get to where we get. I don't mind yeah. it. There's a little bit of a, I mean, on Jason's part is, I mean, 
it's kind of funny. He's walking down the street and the woman's like, hey, I've got a box of your stuff. And he's like, oh, oh, cool. Looky in here. My birth certificate and my mom's name. <gasps> it didn't start with an S, but I can't read the rest. And then he did some detective work and found three names and then has to go overseas and track them down. It sure it's getting it all there. I don't think that it's I don't think it's bogged down going through all this. I think it actually moves kind of it gives you the information you need, but doesn't overstay its welcome. Yeah. Um, what's funny to me reading all of this in retrospect is I mean, you see it on the issues. Batman 426, the cover says a death in the family. Is it really a surprise? Because otherwise, okay, let's say the, the end result was different. There were 70 more Save Jason Todd calls. Yeah. In which, okay, so then why is the story called A Death in the Family? Because his mom dies. Eh. <laughs> like, so, like, thinking so about that Jason's... now, to call that A Death in the Family and yeah. you introduce a character... Uh, only the killer that you've ne- the next you know, issue. yeah exactly so she she lives for two issues and yeah. granted one of them's i mean they're both you know oversized but i just kind of feel the way that the chips align and how i mean i mean they did all this we all know she t- okay everybody has read this hopefully this isn't a spoiler that jason todd died in a death in the family <laughs> i mean I if you're listening to this you kind of know you kind of know so. what happened but so his mom turns on him because she's in in debt i'd say she's uh stuck by the joker so she didn't want it to go this way but she has to she feels well, she's she's been embezzling and and gives gives basically yeah. gives over jason to uh, Joker. Joker beats the shit out of him with a crowbar, which remains a pretty um, quite an impactful uh, set <laughs> of panels yeah. as, as a reader, too. Um, and then how bloody Joker, like the crowbar and Joker's hands are that they, you know, that they print in this and stuff. It's, it's pretty gruesome. Um, fans earlier that year already got a taste of gruesome with uh, the killing joke. Um, both of them are equally as disturbing in different ways. Um, I think. Yeah. Um, but I mean, by, by the end, I mean, there's a, there's a good twist in the, the doors locked and the dynamite is about to go off and then it does explode. And then we, we see, I mean, it's an ad that many of like many of us have seen before the, um, that was in the, the back of 427. Robin will die because the Joker wants revenge, but you can prevent it with a phone call, with a telephone call. Call this number, the Joker fails and Robin lives. Call this number, the Joker succeeds and Robin will not survive. And it was only in USA and Canada and for only a day. Yeah. 50 cents of, if you called, it cost you 50 cents, which at which the was- time, you'd get grounded forever. If you dare make a phone call that costs your parents 50 cents, because that is asinine. And then, yes, as um, in the back of the trade, Danny O'Neill, he even writes the results of 5,271 to 5,343. So, yes, 72. 72 phone calls 
I just said that weird. 72, 72 phone calls. Now, I looked this up online, which is actually kind of funny to me. I never heard this. Um, Denny O'Neill was reportedly inspired by an SNL sketch starring Eddie Murphy, where he gave two phone numbers, one for one against boiling a lobster live on the air. And at the last second, barely by like not a lot of votes. Yeah, look this. I mean, if you've never you've never heard that, no. Um, yeah, you can look it, so look it up. Look up online and Eddie Murphy uh, bit on SNL where yeah, it was call these two phone calls or these two phone numbers. If you wanted to live, call this one. If you wanted to get boiled live on the air, um, call this one. And apparently, the bit I didn't watch the bit yet. Um, he reads the basically save the lobster number really quick and gets yeah. through it really quick and then you know takes his time giving the number to really boil but that idea supposedly reportedly was on denny o'neill's brain when coming up with this hmm. so it was revealed so it's the dc comics dc comics classic library edition um Let's see, I've got it right here. The first hard DC cover. Comics Classics Library Edition of Batman A Death in the Family that has this story plus a lonely place of dying in it. Um, revealed an image that the apparent image uh, that Aparo had drawn of him holding Jason and saying he's alive. Apparently, they were ready. He's alive, thank God. Apparently, they were ready yeah. with that. And the one that we, that's in the book now. There was there was some dead man. I want to say it was a dead man miniseries that actually published these pages as well. Okay. I don't remember where, where what it was called. I'm 95% sure it was Dead Man, <clears throat> but I had it because that was the first time I saw like the he's alive thing. But while I was familiar with, with that art. There's a whole other alternate page of like Jason in a coma in the hospital and Dick showing up. And it's basically kind of like the funeral scene where Alfred's like, should I call Master Dick? And he's like, no, I'll handle this myself. That's how I want it from now on. It's basically gotcha. that scene, except it's not Alfred. It's Dick with Batman saying, I'm going to go by myself, which in another sense, if this wound up being the, the ending they went with, you know, maybe it's not only a death in the family because his mom died, but because the partnership of Batman and Robin died because he wants to be solo now. Maybe I'm grasping the, the metaphors. But... No, I don't know. I mean, it's it's valid. Why not? But at the bottom, yeah. in this, it says this alternate page, the one of He's Alive, Thank God, for Batman number 428, illustrated by Jim Aparo and Mike DiCarlo, finally saw print in 2006 in Batman Annual number 25 to mark the return of Jason Todd to the DC universe. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of then, but I could have swore it was in like a dead man thing as well. Gotcha. Like, I, I, I don't know, to, but um, I'm middle I mean, apparent, now, apparently so. they, they have both. To me, it just, I don't know. To me, it feels like they knew what was going to happen. Uh, this was, it, I mean, it's a pretty, I think a ballsy event to try and do. Uh, to leave it up to fans, we're letting you decide. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
and that that's yeah apparently like that that was the route they went fans voted death and so then the the arc being called a death in the family makes total sense yeah and they're like oh phew we didn't screw up by calling us a death in the family now something that i think was it didn't hit me the first time I I watched I read this, and then it was a few years till I realized the iconic image of Batman on his knees holding dead Jason was drawn for the trade collection, never yeah. appeared in the original story. That's very funny to me because that's kind of the that's that is a would you say maybe I mean top ten top five iconic Batman image? Oh yeah. No context needed. You see this and you know what that is. People, I mean, it's pretty obvious. The one that's in the comic of him holding Jason. Yeah, you know what that is. But there's something about this image and that's the one that is... And I like yours better. For this story. My my original trade had it more offset. And so Batman was kind of clipped, but yours is like the full image right in the center. Like it works so much better like that um but yeah that that cover just leaped off you know the stands to me when i was a kid and and being you know good catholic boy and 12 years old like i was so afraid that my mom would disapprove because you know you go to that big page and there's you know jason is covered in blood and it doesn't like i look at it now i'm like oh it doesn't look that bad yeah (laughs) but 12 year old me was like worried that she'd be like nope (laughs) they'd already looked at the she'd already seen the end of uh year one like the third issue when gordon's holding the gun and uh his wife is in bed and pregnant and that was like too risque for me according to her my dad's like it's fine it's fine (laughs) so any anytime there was anything that i thought my mom could object to i got worried like the whole um instead of like where the UPC code was, sometimes they had, if it was like a newsstand or a direct market edition, they would have something else, like some art. And it used to say like DC comics aren't just for kids. And at the time I took it to mean like, oh, this is adult. Like, and I was always getting nervous about my mom seeing that and taking it away. And, you know, I had to hide the killing joke like under the bed. So <laughs> she wouldn't go through it because god if she would have found that what do you I... got under there naughty magazines no yeah it's a Batman comic <laughs> <laughs> it so, would okay have gone well something that stands out to me here um so an opening to 428 so did let's see i'm flipping through flipping through So Bruce introduces Jason to his mom and then leaves. And that's all that Bruce and, um, oh my gosh, I had the page, what her real name is. Getting there. S something. Dead air. Dead air. It's S, it's S something. Still in the air. Dr. Sheila she, Haywood. Haywood. You were about to say it. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And other than that, he has no communication with her no scenes with her anything like that so chapter five is bruce returning to right after the warehouse had blown up and he's looking through the rubble and he's it's all internal dialogue as he's reliving all this stuff and he relives his you know 
where he met Jason and training Jason and then them patrolling together. And then it's, I mean, it stuck out to me a little bit, a little bit how he says, like, basically he relives. He recaps. Yeah. Yeah. He recaps that she was in cahoots with the Joker. And when it, and if you think of, if you just take a second and think about it, it's like, how the hell does he know that? Yeah. he that's that's total reader convenience here um it's not a big deal it's or not just, a huge deal breaker but it's also just kind of like well batman doesn't know that and this isn't a case where batman knows all because he's batman it's no he literally went away jason then confronts his mom in the desert no communication and then the warehouse blows up and both of them are inside while batman's off catching you know, the the cargo trucks or whatever and then he comes I back think- so I think Jason told them and we just didn't see it again because he, he, go, he sees his mom in cahoots, as he says, jumps on the bike and goes after Bruce and's like, Hey, we've got Joker trouble. And then they both take off and, you know, Batman knows he's got to go stop uh, these trucks that have the, at the time, what I thought of as like Smilex gas from reaching the other refugees so Jason must have told them off panel, like my mom is dealing with the Joker and this is what I overheard and we got to, you know, stop this from happening. Well, he Versus says in the next issue, it's a recap because if you're just joining for the first time after this monumental publicized phone gag that you got to get everyone up to speed if this is their first Batman comic. Because it is a weird, well, like today's standards, it's weird that we're doing this long recap of the whole story because we're reading it in a trade all in one sitting. Like, I don't, I don't need to be told what happened because I, I yeah. just read it 40 pages ago. I don't, I don't think he said that he, that he told him, but you know, if you want to believe that it happened off the panel, then I guess <laughs> it's possible, but I mean, Joker continues to be Joker at this point. He murders all the dudes with his gas um, that were helping yeah. him. Um, leaves the cryptic B, see you at 42nd and 1st, in which Batman has to decipher that. I think that this is like, so the Arkham, you only see Arkham small at the, at the beginning. Um, that's, I mean, that to me is, ugh, that's late 80s, early 90s Arkham Asylum. Like, Something that I love with the art about this is that it's drawn by Jim Aparo. Um, that's yes. everything that I love about the art with this book because, and it's very, it's classic feeling to me in the sense of these were the first comics that I saw was like this era, you know, late 80s, early 90s comics were the first I ever saw with Batman. And there's just such a cool vibe and and look about them. And I think that also with the cemetery, you know, where, uh Jason and his mom are being buried. And I think that looks very much Watchmen Cemetery, you know, in uh, the, oh, yeah. the third issue of Watchmen. I mean, like the purple skies and there's just something about that cemetery. It, it feels very like 80s-ish to me. And I mean that in a totally good way. Uh, yeah. And we get a little bit in Batcave, which is good. And then, yeah, the the Aparo, the 80s Superman. Oh my God, that looks great. Um, Joker looks like classic Joker, but also a little he looks like he looks to me. I think of the action figure, the superpowers action sure. figure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like yeah. that classic 
long, what a, what a really jaw. In, inhumanly long <laughs> jaw. What a jaw. Um, so looking at it from like my 1989 nostalgia glasses, because sure. I would have seen the movie before I, I read this, it, it has all those like touchstones. Like he's got the poison gas. There are people mm-hmm. dying with the grin on their face. He's even doing the flesh color makeup you know, to get around places, but it's, you know, unlike Jack Nicholson, he, he's got like this just enormous chin that like, it's a big giveaway that this guy's a joker just because no one else has that facial structure. Yeah. And there's, so I've said this before and I think you can really see it which granted you don't have Clark and Bruce side by side. You have Superman and Batman side by side, but Aparo's Dick Grayson, Bruce Wayne and Clark Kent look really similar. I think in their, in their face in, in like hair and such. Um, A younger Bruce is kind of to me how Jason looks as well. Uh, there's just a, I think Aparo's dealing with those characters. There's not a huge variety, but that's okay too. Cause it's not like we need something to be, I mean, in a lot of media, uh, Clark and Bruce look pretty similar um, and stuff, but that's just always something that it's not distracting. It's just something that I notice. And I think well, there, there is an Aparo face. Yeah. Much like there's like, a... <laughs> you've got an Aparo face. <laughs> a Neil Adams face and sure. more specifically like a Neil Adams mouth. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a definite Aparo face and he does change facial structures um, with certain people, but I, I totally hear where you're coming from about, you know, how similar, especially Clark and, and Bruce are. It's really that it's that spit curl that is really yeah. your only clue because it's more pronounced on superman than the wavy hair of of batman yep um i think i was always surprised at how it quickly the story just kind of ends there's the helicopter crash and then superman pulls batman out of the water yeah that's it and and which is the first well that's the way things always end with the joker is the the first unresolved is the next time we see him the tease at the end of a lonely place of dying where he's in the hospital bed yeah okay and then from there it's the um, he's still kind of laid up and then it's that bray fogel cover oh yeah and then it's the guy imposter yeah. And the Joker's got to come take yep. back his crown, basically. So yeah. it's easy for us. Like Now we can blast through that. But man, poor people had to wait years to get some Joker back. So, yeah. My goodness. Um, so I know I just blasted through, but I mean, you kind of touched upon it. Uh, I think something that's kind of smart. So there's a lot of like bruce trying to figure out what to do now that joker's kind of untouchable uh, but yet he and superman come up with a plot to be able to keep prevent That's... him from poisoning the the un 
Um, that that Joker uh, Batman confrontation is yes that's one of my I, favorite one of my favorite parts of the book. That's what just, I wanted to say too. Yeah, just the way he he goes in and gets him to confirm, you know, through says, his own ego that he's the one who killed Jason. By the way, thanks, huh? Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for what? Up until now, I wasn't absolutely certain that you were responsible. But then he says for what happened to Jason. He didn't say what happened yeah. for Robin, in which yeah, I mean, Joker doesn't know that that's Jason because yeah, he was fully decked out in the Robin suit. Um, well, and there's so a couple I mean, of interesting ways to t- to take that because you know there's always the theory like he really Joker knows, knows who he is, but yeah. that's Bruce Wayne's not the real identity; it's Batman. Um, and there may be a bit of that because there's in the um, when they finally go in front of the UN there's that great face-off between the two of them where it's just them it's you know Bruce Joker Bruce Joker Bruce Joker and they're just staring at each other and there's like this sense of finality that that Bruce mentions and how none they don't understand the bond that they have with each other and part of me is wondering if it's he just doesn't like Bruce doesn't care anymore so he's saying Jason or part of me is even wondering if in his mind, he's, this is it. Like we just went through the killing joke. Now you've killed Robin. Like only one of us is leaving, you know, this place. I know alive. it seemed like I was going to kill you at the end of the killing joke, but I'm really going to kill you now. Cause that's yeah, how Batman and, talks too. Really? Hey there, and Joker. The, <laughs> and the fact that he leaves them in the helicopter um you know shot in the yeah. chest to basically to die like part of me thinks like he's he's letting nature take its course maybe or because one of the few times where batman doesn't make an effort to save everyone and we know you know the no kill rule but this kind of skirts around that kind of like batman begins where it's like i don't have to save i don't have i'm not going to kill you but i don't have to save you either yeah kind of thing so yeah, I'm wondering if he confirms the Jason thing because he either just doesn't care anymore or if it doesn't matter because by the end of the day, one of them's gonna be dead. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna kill you or you're gonna kill me. I don't have the killing joke dialogue down pat. Um, is there anything we didn't touch on? Uh Shiva. That you want to? Okay. His second, his second um, option suspect, yeah, is Shiva Wusen. This is my first encounter with her. So anytime I've seen her since then, I've been like, oh, Lady Shiva from Death in the Family. Because she was almost Jason Todd's mom. <laughs> we get her uh, big time in Night's End where she has to train Bruce, mm-hmm. um, you know, to get him back into fighting shape. And then she's... Uh, Cassandra Kane's mom, right? I don't remember. Which is a, a contradiction, because under like, the truth, under the truth serum, she's like, I don't have any kids. Yeah. Do you did you ever have any children? She's like, no. And I don't remember the backstory. I, I remember like David Kane is her dad, and I, I want she was her mom, but I don't remember how she got orphaned from Shiva. But uh, I know when she fight... pops up, like, oh yeah, that's Shiva, Lady Shiva. But as far as like 
a lot of her specifics on her history and backstory and stuff i'm not too familiar on. yeah and i don't know what her first appearance is either but i mean batman says lady shiva we meet again um so it makes me think that they've met before yeah but is it like they've actually met before in the comics or he's just saying that to give like a sense of of continuity and we really haven't seen her before this moment that i did not get a chance to look up i meant to forgot her first but the fight is really good the character Aparo was just... created by denny o'neill lady shiva okay um and rick estrada first appeared in richard dragon kung fu fighter number five in 1975 oh, okay interesting i didn't know that that makes sense the mother of cassandra kane so there you go um i mean i can google lady shiva first appearance or first we'll see if that pops up anything uh no i'm not seeing anything and we don't need that error so all right lady shiva booyah yeah, anything, I thought that anything. was a, a really good fight. Yeah, it was cool. Nice little action action piece here, which um, I remember because I read this later on, I definitely got like, I didn't mention this, but civilian Joker, I got Jack Nicholson from 89 of using the, the makeup to look, you know, yeah um like a civilian sort of deal i i just always attributed that to batman 89 which then of course it's like well no this came out before 89 um a connection there somehow um the i i do the like the little... coloring is weird the print um, the print actually the printing on the paper is weird especially with the blacks in my trade my um, the blue yeah, and my the original is... trade is really bleedy. Like yes, uh huh. Ink is just all no pun intended. The yeah, <laughs> there's only a couple pages where that should be very bleedy, but it's actually throughout. Um, there's a, a Green Lantern movie coming out next week, an animated movie, and there's yep. a, a a John Stewart uh, special feature like a doc on it, and they posted like two minutes of it. Um, on their YouTube channel. And they've got like Phil Lamar um, who voiced Jon Stewart in Justice League. And he's talking about, you know, the origin of Jon Stewart, how um, Neil Adams really had to fight to have him be named Jon Stewart and not like Lincoln Washington. Yeah. And how they told him that the color was wrong. Like he's supposed to be this color. And you wrote down that he's this color, like this color number. And he's like, no, he's, he's black. He should look brown. Um, and that, that just posted a couple of days ago before I got to reading this. So now I'm reading this book and like the Middle Eastern people have like this weird power, like this kind of gray, darker shade. Like, I don't, I have no idea what that's, what that's about. <laughs> I, I mean, and we're talking about, I don't, I don't know what was behind those decisions in the first place. Um, but I mean, we're also looking at a book where at the time, because of, you know, the limitations of printing, like if you had black hair, your hair was colored in blue. 
Yeah. So I don't I don't know if the just the printing of the era like they couldn't get a Middle Eastern shade right, but it's it's not even really consistent. Like even certain characters throughout the book, at least the how it looks on my copy, like their their skin tones fluctuate. Um, which just in light of that documentary, I was like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So yeah, coloring in it would be interesting for me to look at physical issues of the story, like the you know, first prints or something, just to see how those end up, how those look. Yeah. Um I sure. mean the um what are they called? The I always forget the name, the Ben Dots. Yeah. The little the little color that they uh-huh. used back in the day, like wow those are like so pronounced <laughs> on those physical the original issues that i was looking at that because i read i read the hardcover first with the remastered very smooth coloring mm-hmm. um and then looked at the you know, physical original copies and it's wow like it's dated and you just see all these little pinpricks of color i do like when when the most um recent i I mean, I think Bruno Redondo is doing it a lot right now in Nightwing, of like Ben Dot kind of yes. coloring, which is yeah. Cool. For like I like I like when they bring that in sometimes for um, I don't know, just for a cool little effect. And I think the yeah uh, Von Fries White Knight uh, tie-in story that did it too, which I thought was really cool. I like it when they do that sometimes. So like looking back at this, that doesn't necessarily bother me. It is like the the black hair mixed with the blues that ends up. Like the printing wise and stuff looks um i don't know it's it's weird it's it's trying to do too much dark color on this really thin kind of paper so yeah and it's just gonna make it's, it eh. it's one of those things that always kind of interested me too in terms of batman where he was very um black when he first appeared with like purple gloves and then like somewhere along the way it became more blue with black and it's like what what color is he actually supposed to like the people in the story when they look at batman is he blue and gray or is he black and there's just like a lot of highlights you know coming off like i've always been puzzled by that as a kid and there's something i noticed um with aparo's art like there's this like crest on the cowl like I've always noticed it, but like today was the first time in 33 years. I'm like, oh, that's a shadow from the ear. And depending <laughs> on where he is, like that's just hey, the, that light makes sense. the ear and making yeah. a shadow on the cow. Because he always did this like um chin portion, like from the nose to underneath the eyes. It's always black there on his Batman. Um, versus like I don't know, super friends or something where it was more like the top of his forehead was all black yeah um but man i marshall rogers like neil adams and like jim aparo were just they're pretty so good. definitive in how they drew batman and they're so like similar but so different at the same time mm-hmm. but i mean this he was my first aparo was my first like big boy batman experience where i was reading like a current day comic and uh 
I mean, that just kind of sealed the deal for me because it, it was just like I mentioned this in my first appearance here on the show, like Batman 432, like just the way his Batman would come out of the shadows or his face would be in shadow. And it was so different to like the world's finest comics that I had read where like Batman and Superman are trying to date this princess together and who can get her the bigger diamond? Like it was a totally different thing. And then, you know, you go a few months later and seeing Keaton where he's just constantly in shadow and you can't even see his eyes sometimes because it's just shadow. Um, I'll just say that the Batman book club bracket challenge for next year covering the best Batman artist is going to be impossible. Yeah. <laughs> There's going to be some voting that is going to be ridiculous and I won't know how to choose. Uh, <sighs> neither will the people who participate because uh, I mean, spoiler yeah. alert, Jim Aparo is going to be on there. Um, so yeah. My I mean, you go Aparo against Sale like or even worse, what if it's like Sale versus Brayfogle? What do you do, Ryan? Sale do versus Brayfogle, Bermejo versus Aparo, Bermejo versus Brayfogle. I don't know. What if it's I, like that's, what if it's that's like why Bermejo I'm creating it. That's why I'm creating it, and I don't have to vote. So. That's like my worst. That's like my worst nightmare. It's like Murphy against Bermejo, and it's like, how do I pick? Yeah, you know. It's like so. Uh, why don't both, you think about both that? Cool guys. It's like we've only got know. like seven months. So I feel like that's going to be even worse than like the writer. The writer, the writer was, one tough. was tough. Some the people did tough. not. They did not like the my choosings and matchups. And I'm like, I I don't necessarily like them either. Yeah, <laughs> it's because we're spoiled. There's too much good talent on Batman. So having it's a good problem to have. Yeah, for sure. I want to get into some favorites here as we start to inch towards wrapping up. And I want to ask you, what was your favorite part of Batman: A Death in the Family? crap i forgot that was a question if you say joker beating the hell out of jason with a crowbar that's sadistic you know i'm gonna there's so so many good moments for me like but one that that's always stuck with me is that that confrontation um that we just mentioned where you know batman confronts joker because this is the first he didn't really see him in Iran, uh, Iran. Like they were both there, but like Batman didn't really get to interact with Joker um, before the whole missile went off. And um, so this is actually, it's, you know, chat or issue four. This is the first time they're actually seeing each other. Um, and it's just, there's a, a great sense of like, tension and for someone who's so hurt like batman's very calm uh and i just always remember jokers you know you see even a madman can add two plus two and batman's terse and come up with five mm -hmm. like that's always been a line of dialogue that i've always had in my head i don't know why but just how the joker tries to needle him and get a rise and batman doesn't take the bait and just plays it so calm um and then he does the disappear uh on, on he gone. yeah and he's like i hate it when he does that <laughs> like how many times have we seen that with like gordon or even you can in, like, hear Dark Knight i think Rises you can hear where... mark hamill say that oh yeah for you know, sure as if that was a scene that was deleted in one of the animated series episodes 
So um, I, I guess that's got to be my I get favorite, it. but there's so I get you. good moments. Yeah, and that one could be it uh, pending my day, but I'd almost say that my favorite is the opening bust because yes, it kind of encapsulates everything. I mean, it's one, two, it's three pages and quite a few panels, but it kind of encapsulates where Jason is yeah. at this moment, Batman's feelings towards Jason at this moment. Like, why is this an issue? Like, it wraps it all up in just one quick scene and three pages. Yeah. So if you don't know anything about Robin, which I didn't, go, or this Robin, Jason Todd, which I didn't go into the story, that opening scene lays the groundwork for you. That's, that's all you need. That's another line of dialogue that has stuck with me since I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Back when when I lost weight before I found it again, um, <laughs> we always do, whole, don't we? <laughs> yeah, his whole I bring my entire 210 pounds down on them hard. Like that was like my goal for like the longest time was to <laughs> to hit that mark because like that's how much like, Batman weighs. That's what 210 looks like. Yeah. So you know, of course, that's muscle. But I mean, I did get there eventually. Um, but um, also, like two panels later, though, like this is how jack batman is the way he throws that last pornographer to jason like he like one-handed like just like tosses him like i don't know how a regular human even an olympic level athlete tosses this dude like one-armed the way batman does as high as that guy flies like that is some strength right there but yeah. uh just Aparo's fight scenes, the way he he depicts the characters throwing punches. Like I just I always just thought it was really cool. How about a favorite panel? Panel or page? Panel. There's a couple of good um if it's a full page, that counts as one panel because it technically is one panel that okay. takes there's the a couple of page. good a good splash pages in this book that I was like trying to figure out. Um, uh, before I forget the countdown to them blowing up like reading that like I've read this a bazillion times but like it's still really effective like I still felt the tension today is like you see the time and then you see where their progress is and you see the time and like okay they're a little bit further like that's really effective sequential storytelling but in terms of favorite panel I decided um, page 19 of 429 there's it's we're at the climax batman is running after the in the background he's running after the joker batman you can't see his face the joker's looking up excitedly at his getaway copter uh jumps in batman jumps after him he's like no escape and just how he killed jason and he just kind of trails off in his thoughts and it just it feels so dramatic intense and it feels cinematic and i'm sure i was thinking of you know, the Joker's getaway in 89 when he tries to escape on the helicopter. But like everything leads to this moment. And I, I just love the storytelling on the page and Batman being relentless and, and grabbing onto the leg of the helicopter, the skid, um, to get inside. It was a uh, tough choice, though. It's tough for me, and it's weird that I'm what I'm choosing. I, I go back and forth a little bit. So there's the not as iconic as the cover image image of mm-hmm. batman holding jason's dead body but then right before that the page before yeah. it where he sees jason's body 
because there's almost something that's more uh tragic in that the because shock. i think i think it's yeah it's his first eyes on him and i think you just by just looking at jason's body and the way it's laying and the smoke and rubble around that it just you know he like just the dead. way he he cradles him after he checks his pulse yeah and and says like he's already getting cold to the touch and then he holds him close to his body and their heads touch and you don't see batman's face but you can tell that he he's closing his eyes and yeah. just says gone like that's the only word in that panel is gone like to me that hits harder than this beautiful splash page on the next page yeah so i think it's when he first discover first sees his body um i think that would be it I, and i substitute instead of favorite of like most impactful image uh this yeah. is a tricky question um bring it what did you think of the like i wouldn't say would you like to see it adapt well i would i would there you go it's I been would. adapted in as like kind the of. prologue of batman under the hood it yeah. was released um it was last year right yeah uh, I think the book says 2020, 2020, but I thought it was 2021, but COVID messed up my sense of time. Mine a little so, bit too. Um, and it took me a minute before the kids and I got to it. And we, I don't even think we went through all seven options that you can get. 2020. Oh, wow. It's almost yeah. been two years already. The book, so yeah, the so book they says the, 2020. Yeah. The interactive um, movie as well. So it's been adapted in two different ways. How do you? Yeah. And yeah, I still think there is a definitive version yet to be made. Yeah, I would agree with that. But the fact of it being called Death in the Family already, and they've released one, it's never going to happen. I don't. Think. I ha I have a solution for that. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, the whole DC like what we think of as like the modern animated DC movies after they moved on from the animated series. Um, they started off with Superman Doomsday, which was like a really truncated 70-minute yeah. version of the death of Superman, where you only had one yep. Superman, not the four, which they later took another swing at it two years ago um, with a two-parter, Death of Superman Returns. That's not the exact title, but they, they fleshed it out and did a two-part movie um, that was more faithful to the source material. Um, so with this interactive version, I, I do appreciate what they did in trying to recreate the stunt and giving you the choice of does he live or die or does he go into a coma. Hmm. Um, but if you try and go the more traditional route, it kind of falls flat for me because so much of it is just um, Batman or Bruce in this case, narrating the events talking over old animated footage that we've seen that doesn't really have dialogue to Clark. Yeah. So in some ways it feels like a cheat in other ways, I appreciate how they did add some other stuff like the end of RIP with the whole Zorro and Arkham thing. I had to mention it, like, like I had to mention it. Um, but my, my workaround for this because I, I can see not wanting to tie it to the politics of the day. And so they could take a page from the prior animated version and make it some other foreign uh, country that can make it Condoc if they want to tie it into Black Adam somehow, because people are going to know it after this movie. Um, and do like the whole Joker and Raish thing. You can keep that aspect 
Um, but then flesh it out more and get more into why Jason's looking for his mom. You can bring that aspect in. Um, and you can call it a lonely place of dying and do death in the family as like part one and then do a lonely place of dying as part two and bring in like Tim Drake. And then you've got your, we sold our first chapter one, we sold our chapter two, and then we'll get them another time when we put it all out as a three hour 4k. So they're just making money and you, by calling it a lonely place of dying, you don't have to worry about the death in the family aspect of it, of the title. There you go. That's my pitch. Brothers. There you go. Free pitch. Um, I think that the prologue version is done extremely well. Um, extremely well. The interactive version, uh, I've only done it once. Uh, and I thought that it was cool. I like, and I went through every single option. Um, I remember I reviewed it for Batman on film, but I'm not usually in the mood to play a movie. By that, I mean, I have yeah. to have remote in hand ready to change. Okay, this option, this option, this option. And also you have to do it via disc and not always streaming. Sometimes I'm limited to only streaming. So I think that there's a, there's been two attempts and there's there's an option for a third that can be different and more true to the entire story. And I think that third that times be, the charm that could be done really well. Um, so, yeah. Um, Javi, what are your, what are your final thoughts on Batman and death in the family? Um, it still held up for me. I think um, the, the, po the political aspect that we've talked about it it definitely hit differently this time it it did feel a little out of place uh not not as much as i thought it was going to just you know reading this so close after 10 nights of the beast like giving it that extra bit of context like they were doing weird stuff like this at the time um so looking at it from that prism, it makes sense. If you were to read this for the first time in 2022, mm -hmm. I, I think it would play a different way and just be completely bonkers and not hold up. But in the bigger picture, I think it still does work. Um, I, I like Starlin's Batman voice. I think he, he handles that detective style very well. And unquestionably i mean jim aparo's art is is top tier mm -hmm. and it it baffles me that um you know he did something as celebrated and at the time and how impactful because we're still dealing with the fallout of the story all these years later across different social media or not social media different mediums be it video games or animation or, or you know, um, the comics themselves with Jason being alive again, um, that he, he did something like this and then went on to do Nightfall mm -hmm. and, you know, Bane breaking the Batman's back. Like, that's iconic. And that he did all that. And at the end of 500, DC was like, you're kind of old like you're not the cool hip artist and that was it 
they brought on Mike Manley for the second half and then they had their new creative teams because it was a new Batman and new direction, blah, blah, blah. And while they brought Aparo back for other stories, there's some Legends of the Dark Knight stuff. Um, it, it just amazes me that, because I was a kid and I loved his stuff. And so it amazes me that he would get pushed aside for doing, mm-hmm. you know, such iconic work. And it wasn't One like he greats. did it like 20 years ago. And, you know, it's not like the Joker's five-way revenge where that was early seventies. And um, like he was contemporary as far as I was concerned and budgets being what they were for me back then, you know, I'd get like amazing Spider-Man and Spider-Man and X-Men. And I could really only kind of swing one Batman comic. And I, I just followed Aparo when he left Batman to go to detective I stopped reading Batman. I started collecting Detective. So, I mean, he's he's my guy, and I'm glad I got to, um, you know, sing his praises. Because other than my intro story, like I haven't really gotten to talk in the Paro book, and I just think his Batman is that's who I think of when I think of Batman. There has been a lot of Aparo love this year. There wasn't any, and then this year came around, and I don't know if this is the third or fourth story this year with art from Aparo so bam finally getting his due finally getting getting his due on the Batman book club uh I think a death in the family overall is a definitely a fine story I don't think it's uh I don't think it's it's horrible or a terrible story or anything like that at all I think it's very fine um known for an obvious historical moment in batman's history yeah so and maybe that moment stands out helps stand out more because it's a very fine story as well you know like if this was the long halloween and in the long halloween jason like a robin was killed it's kind of like it's like oh the long halloween it's it's not such a huge highlight in that you know where so this is a very like and um, a little above average, but around the average Mark story. Oh yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Joker, all this stuff. But then this monumental moment happens that overshadows the whole story itself. So I think it will always be remembered for that. It comes up short in the sense of we just don't, I don't have a ton of thoughts and feelings about Jason Todd. So it doesn't hit as much. Yeah. But the effects of, of it on batman is where the story i think really comes into play so i think it's it's a definite read um, like a must read if for some reason you haven't yet i think just for context of everything you definitely need to read it um and if you've read it before like read it again it's not a i mean an hour hour and a half read uh it's not it's not too much of an undertaking but um i think it's kind of like a solid story that is i don't it's a a very it's just a very important story to read if you for if you're a fan of Batman and his history. Yeah, it's not it's not like you said, it's not the long Halloween. No, because nothing is where you can read those without knowing anything else. Yeah. Like even though they give you like a lot of backstory, it it definitely benefits from if you have knowledge from what else was going on in the era. Mm-hmm. Like you can't just necessarily hand it to somebody and they can it, it it's not it doesn't pick up like those other ones do mm-hmm. 
Absolutely. Uh, Javi, I want to thank you for returning to the Batman Book Club. Thank you for having me. Man. Uh, and I love doing this, this show. Bringing this story. Um, you'll be invited back yet again. But until that time, where can people follow you and find uh, find out what you're thinking, the work you're doing, and all that good stuff? Uh, at Twitter uh, or on Twitter, um, at Javi True, J-A-V-I-T-R-U. And on Instagram, uh, the bond is not enough because I don't just love James Bond. Mm-hmm. I love Batman and Superman and The Flash and Spider-Man. So I just post about all those things. Uh, in terms of writing, uh, you can find me at batmanonfilm.com, the daggum original. Where, uh, God, I'm, I'm wrapping up a lot of series right now. I've, I've got three more issues of Batman the Night. Robin is coming to a, a quick end uh, for Damien. And uh, Catwoman Lonely City is almost done. And so is Batman One Dark Knight. So uh, I've been talking with Bill about a couple other things that I can take over once those are wrapped up. And uh, I also have a new podcast. Um, should have the third episode up soon. I've got a few in the bank. I just need to get them edited and posted. It's called Amazing Spider-Man Classics. You can find it on all your good podcatchers. And uh, it's a podcast where my son and I talk about the Amazing Spider-Man. He is a teenager in uh, high school. And he has never read the original Lee Ditko Spider-Man. So we are looking back at 60-year-old comics and getting a current teen's perspective on how those play today. On the webhead! Come check us out. Check it out. Excellent. Uh, If you aren't already, you can follow the Batman Book Club on Twitter and Instagram at TheBatmanBC. Please go and check out the Batman Book Club YouTube channel, the most recent part, part two of The Road to No Man's Land with the Italian Peter R. Vera is now available on the Batman Book Club YouTube channel. So go ahead and check that out. Uh, If you want to write in with questions or comments, concerns, go to Eric Holzman. You can do that that at thebatmanbc at gmail.com. If you want to support the show, there's a variety of ways you can do that. Patreon.com slash thebatmanbc. Go to tpublic.com, type in TBBC for the Batman Book Club, and you can find a variety of items that uh, that you can get with the Batman Book Club on them, like t-shirts, hoodies, notebooks, onesies for your little ones, Javi sporting his Batman Book Club t-shirt. Right now, I can see it, but if you want to support the show and you don't want to spend any money at all, it's 100% A-OK, the best thing you can do is rate and review the show wherever you get your podcasts. So Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, Google Play, iHeartRadio, wherever, rate and review the show because it helps spread the word. And the more it helps spread the word, wait, hold on. The more reviews it gets, there we go. The more it helps spread the word. And Javi, as we all know, the word is panic. So for Javi, I am Ryan Lauer. And until next time, we love Batman comics.